We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, what's going on, everyone? And Happy Saturday. This is Richie. And as promised, you guys are getting an episode today. We teased it on the last last episode that you guys would be getting a Saturday episode. We wanted it to come out a little bit earlier in the morning. Brian and I actually recorded this on Twitter Spaces and got a decent turnout on a Saturday morning. Uh, Even got a speaker request, which you'll hear later in the podcast. So, Maybe we can do more of these, and I think maybe you guys might like Twitter spaces a little bit more because you guys already follow us on Twitter. You're not having to download an extra app. We've used Spotify Green Room before. We've done some live audio versions of our podcast where you guys can join there. It acts very much in the same way. So this was the first time that we tried out Twitter spaces. I was really just doing it for testing purposes, but it... Feels like it worked. Uh, the people were listening to us and hearing us. And like I mentioned, we even got someone to speak. And you'll hear that question towards the end. So I'm actually going to cut out the small talk that Brian and I had to start and just get straight into the recap as the Charlotte Hornets have started 2-0 and uh, for the first time since 2016-17. So we're going to recap mostly the Cleveland game, but kind of talk about some big picture stuff as well. So let's jump right into it. All right, so we're here to recap the 2-0 start by the Charlotte Hornets as they defeated the Cavaliers last night, 123-112. We did kind of tease a Saturday podcast, and uh, all of our schedules seemed to, like, not work out last night versus, uh, you know, this morning as well. Like, it just, we couldn't get on the same page. So I, I wanted to make sure that we actually got one out here just because, we teased it on the last podcast, and so I, I kind of sent out a tweet, and Brian was like, okay, I'll, I'll record with you. So, uh, again, 2-0 start by the Charlotte Hornets. Heading into the game, we got the news that Garland for the Cavaliers was out, but also Rozier was back in the lineup after missing the opener against the Pacers. 
and he was relatively quiet in his 22 minutes of play. Uh, you didn't really get the sense that he was going to go off like he normally does in Cleveland. It just wasn't going to be one of those nights. Really, you got nothing from him from behind the arc and just one of five from the field. Uh, and Brian and I were talking about the fact that, um, you know, it feels like he got hobbled up too towards the end of the game. Like not not sure exactly what the status is of that in terms of his I think it was an ankle injury that he was coming back from and, and how that's affecting him now. But, yeah, not not a, not a big impact player right there for Terry Rozier. But overall, like, when you look at this game from, from beginning to end, um, this team played like it wanted to, especially in that second half. They wanted to turn defense into offense, and they did just that. In the fourth quarter, they turned the Cavs over seven times and had eight of their 14 fast break points in that final quarter. So I think that's the formula for this team, Brian. Like if if they have a template of how they want to be successful, it's all going to be predicated on defense turning into offense. Yeah, and, and they were swarming um, in, in the second half defensively. Like, you know, LaMelo went into free safety mode. Uh, and, uh, and I know he had some issues defensively in the first half, like even, you know, checking someone like Rubio or whatever. But um, his off-ball activity defensively, and we've seen this plenty. It's nothing new at this point. We saw you saw this with LaMelo when he played um, – in, in Australia too, just like he's going to start flying around and he's going to look to make plays and he uses his anticipation skills, his basketball IQ to get into passing lanes. And I think maybe Rubio did him a couple favors and threw some questionable passes, but Lamelo finishes with five steals and they mm-hmm. just use that transition spark. Um, you know, Hayward was involved in some of that. Cody Martin was involved in some of that. And yeah, we, we knew coming into the season, Charlotte was going to want to get in transition and it's like very obvious, like that's how they want to play. And one of the ways they want to get into transition is by forcing turnovers, which again is something they did last season. But um, after a turnover this year, just a two game sample, but Charlotte averaging 6.6 seconds per possession, like after a turnover, after they force a turnover and scoring 1.68 points per possession on those looks. I mean, that like, obviously that number is going to level. Those numbers will level out, specifically the, the points per possession. That'll come down some. Um, but, yeah, like, they're, they're getting on the break. They've got they've got the athletes and the play finishers to want to really, you know, fly around and, and in, encourage uh, transition and, and short clock possessions. And I just thought they did a, a nice job bringing that to the table, uh, sort of, like, sparked by um, – Lamelo just being such a such a weird but effective uh, defensive player um, in the maybe in the fourth quarter I want to say but certainly in in the second half. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things when you look at this defense, like you know they're not like the most sound defensive team in terms of like you know they switch at the right time, they rotate at the right time, they they stop penetration. They're going to go yeah. out of their way to like make these risky gambles sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they have to live with sometimes. Plumley, for example, like in the first quarter, he made this gamble trying to shoot the gap and make a steal. You'll see Lamella Ball come off his assignment and trying to get the steal. So I think overall, when you look at this defense, it's not one of those types of defenses where like they just, you know, they, they just put up this wall and the teams can't get points. They are a team that is going to be, you know, taking gambles, taking risks because they want to turn that offense into de- I mean, sorry, turn that defense into the offensive side. Of the yeah. Court, so, yeah. I mean, it, it works out in two folds. It's like they don't really have great defensive personnel. Right. And again, this is just right. an extension of last season. You know, they, they really don't have great defensive personnel. You know, they don't have a center that can really wall off in the paint. 
Um, and, and they don't really have any stoppers or like great, you know, point of attack. I mean, like, you know, Uber gives you some of that, um, but they don't really have any like great, you know, Jalen McDaniels gives you some of that as well. Although, you know, he, he, in a very limited role for him in the Cleveland game, but so you don't have great defensive personnel, but you also, but you also, you know, it makes sense for you to switch a lot. It makes sense for you to play zone, for you to mix in some press, for you to just shift defenses, move the target around on that side of the court and, and try to really force turnovers. And like, they're just, it's very obvious. Like if you have LaMelo on your team, this is the kind of deal, like you're going to, you're going to scramble, right? You're going right. to scramble. You're going to try to force a lot of turnovers. Like it, it's his identity, and especially if you're building a team around him, you know it's going to take on that identity very, very quickly. And people should want to, people should want to get turnovers and, and run because he's going to make everyone else look good in transition. But it were it, so it worked again. It works both sides of the floor because again, they don't really have like a, a defense that can go out and just like you know put on its like hard hat and like you know. Yeah. Just, you know, possession after possession, just like rotate and fly around and, and, and clear the defensive glass and like get stops that way. Like they, they build their defense by, by just mixing it up, changing concepts and trying to be as aggressive as possible getting after balls. And so like, it's going to, you know, it's going to lead to some, some ugly looking possessions. Right. It's going to produce some wide open shots. And then on the flip side, it allows them to just click right into Lamelo, you know, quarterback mode and transition, or is Smith, uh, you know, pushing the pushing the pedal, uh, pedal the metal and transition as well. So and uh, yeah, you can you can just tell people are like look, you know, guys on this team are looking to cause havoc and and get moving the other way. And a player that did that last night, uh, and and player that I'm liking uh, in these first two games. Yes, it's two games, Brian, and we can't call anything a trend yet. But that's all we've got to work <laughs> with this early in the season is Cody Martin. He's an interesting player. Like I, I've given him a lot of flack for his offensive game, and I, I still think it's very, very limited. But he's a guy that was a catalyst in getting this defense out in transition, had two steals in the fourth quarter. And both of those steals came when he was like in an off-ball position where he yeah. kind of just quickly stunted, helped over, got the steal, and yep. the Hornets made their run in that fourth quarter a lot because of what Cody Martin was doing. And offensively... He, he, he had a great possession, the like offense, defense to offense on Jared Allen in the second half last night. He, he, he like stunted in, like, like you were just saying, ripped Allen. This is the one where he dunked on Jared Allen oh, in yeah, transition, yeah. too. Just a nasty finish, man. I mean, he, <laughs> he is like, I mean, you know, maybe he needs a little bit of a runway to, to really get up like that. But, like, man, um, yeah, Charlotte had a, had a few, like, impressive, like, rim finishes, like, really, like, going after Allen last night. But that dunk by Cody Martin was just nasty. And he is now six of seven shooting in transition on the season, uh, according to Synergy. So, yeah, continue, Richie. Sorry for interrupting well, you there. No, to your point, he's just getting to the rim at a very high rate. Like, that. that is his one way on offense in which he can be successful because I don't think he's made a three uh, in the two games that he's played so far. 69% <laughs> of his attempts are yeah. at the rim, which is second highest on the team. Um, what's also interesting, too, like, I, I just didn't think he'd have that great of a role this season and it seems so far through two games, yes, Rozier was injured in the first game, and yes, Rozier was yeah. coming back from an injury against Cleveland. He has the six most minutes on this team. So it's not like one of those things where he's farther down in the rotation. Yeah, and, and we, I think, Richie, you may have even predicted this before, or maybe it was Lee. Um, 
I think it was, I think it could have been Spencer, but I think it was uh, Richie. I think it was either <laughs> you or Lee predicted before the season that like with some new pieces, including Ubre and, and James Booknight coming into the fold that Borrego after, you know, heading into year three with, with Cody Martin would just trust him. And so because of that, he would maybe see some minutes earlier in the season. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but all, of course, you know, Rozier, missing the first game, being hampered in the second game. And then, you know, like James Booknight played a fair amount in the preseason, but I mean, he's played what, you know, 80 seconds of garbage time so far to, to start right. the, the regular season. And my thought would be like, at some point this year, Booknight's role will expand. Um, if it doesn't, I think that's a, that's probably a problem. And if that's going to happen, then the sacrifice is likely going to be some percentage of those Cody Martin minutes. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Another bench player last night that played well and and much better than his first game was Kelly Oubre. Uh, 27 minutes off the bench, 25 points, I believe, in those 27 minutes, if I'm looking at this correct. That's crazy. (laughs) Three rebounds. Uh, He did have another air ball three, which he had from the first game, but he actually did much better from behind the arc compared to that Indiana game. And most of his, you know, most of his success, you know, outside of that, I think four for seven from behind the arc was his dribble drive like he's getting all the way to the rim off the bounce and there was even this one like designed play where he came off a staggered screen uh, I think it was in the second half uh, you know from the right side he was coming off these staggered screens they got in the ball he did not get all the way to the rim but he had a step back mid-range shot which he made 
you know, I, I think the goal for Kelly Oubre is not necessarily to come off the bench and score 25 points. That's not going to happen every night. But, Six man of the year, baby. Yeah, there you go. But just to just to play within himself, and I mentioned this on the previous podcast, like try don't try to do too much. Yeah, take the three when it's open, when it's given to you. Try to attack the rim as much as possible, whether that's off of cuts, and, and clearly he's doing a, a fairly good job off the dribble as well, getting all the way to the rim. Uh, so I was a little bit lower on Ubre coming into the season on the offensive side of the court, but he's pleasantly surprised me through two games. I mean, what 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 are your what's your goal for him this season? What what have you seen so far out of him as a player? Yeah, I mean, I think the spot up activity has been good. Uh, I thought the in the Indiana game he had a really nice little like DHO three um, that that came with I, th- I think PJ as like the the handoff screener guy on that look. So I kind of like some of the DHO activity uh, with Ubre, even if he hasn't like shot it great on those looks outside of that one make versus Indiana. Um, yeah, I think it's like it's just finding t- to sort of build off what you said, Richie. It's like finding that balance between playing within himself and also just be like, you know, really leaning into just being a a wild chaotic athlete. I think the guys that are going to have like good success around LaMelo, not just this season, but like going forward. I think one of the reasons why uh, Bridges has, and and we should talk about miles because he's been very good to start the season. was great. Yeah. Yeah, But um, you know, guys that really excel in those, in those chaos moments, um, it, where where the activity is scrambled and in and, and like the whether Charlotte's on offense or defense just feels very fluid as Lamelo is just like kind of freelancing and doing weird stuff. Um, those guys are gonna have, it's like if you can find success in those moments, like if, if you're comfortable in those moments, you're gonna you can look really good around um, Lamelo. And I think Bridges has, and I think Ubre really needing to excel in those those transition those transition phases and then offensively in the half court it is just like you know can you shoot a good three ball uh, i think it really starts with that and um and then yeah any any like close out drive game you can get into it would be a big help but yeah having a guy like that that can come off the especially when he comes off the bench you know i like it more in in that role um you know again giving charlotte one more athlete on, on the wing that can you know find find a mismatch and again everything is looks way 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 better when he's when he's shooting like he did last night. I mean that, that, again that yeah. sort of solves everything. But I would say with with Ubre really starts with the two obvious things of like on ball defense and three point shooting, and then I would say just like offensive decision making, and then like the highlight sort of thing that I would I would target would be how good he can be in those in those like chaos moments next to LaMelo. But um because if he finds his way in those, there's just a pathway to you know a lot of like, you know, not just like highlight plays, but like efficient offensive mm-hmm. opportunities, you know. It's funny. Uh Charlotte's bench outscored Cleveland's 45 to 27 and Ubre had 25 himself, so he almost outscored the bench yeah. by himself. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. you mentioned Cody Martin. He added 10. So the bench minutes came up big for Charlotte. Uh, and a, that's that's going to be a thing. Like if when LaMelo sits, when when the starters sit, 
you're going to need someone to provide some punch off the bench. And I think Ubre has to be one of those players because uh, obviously he's got some experience and in book night, like we just mentioned, just isn't there quite yet. So he's trying to get yeah. his feet wet. So we mentioned Miles Bridges or you mentioned Miles Bridges. Uh, we've got to talk about him after these two games, uh, specifically in the Cleveland game. He played 35 minutes, was 13 of 24 from the field. Finished with 30 points, seven rebounds, three steals. So the biggest thing that I'm seeing with him, you know, obviously last year I saw it too, but this year, like just the confidence is very high. You see that yeah. in in the way that he plays. His aggression, he has that step back three shot that, you know, not many people can pull off. And, you know, to actually have the confidence to do that on a nightly basis. I think he did make one last night against the Cavs. You see it, the confidence in his physicality, just imposing that will on smaller players, on inexperienced players. Like, he's still so impressive with some of the off-the-dribble stuff that you're seeing. Like, he's either scoring off the dribble or he's collapsing the defense off the dribble. And I kind of highlighted this on Twitter. The best play from last night, or at least my favorite play from him, came late in the fourth quarter. I mean, the game was in hand at this point, but I think he beats Mobley, if I'm not mistaken, off the bounce. Then like two or three calves just collapse, turn their backs on their own man. He makes the kickout pass to the corner. Uh, there's like a, another swing, and he kind of hangs around the dunker spot, catches it, and just explodes go, going straight up for the dunk. So Miles mm-hmm. Bridges through two games has probably been the most impressive player for the Hornets, and just his confidence is just so high. And, and you can see that uh, on the court. Yeah, I I mean, again, it just looks like he's picking up from where he left off the, the, right. those last six to eight weeks of last season when he when he played just so freaking well for Charlotte and really, really elevated himself from being a, you know, a positive rotation piece to being like, you know, is this is this the, you know, is this the number two or number three guy around around LaMelo? Um, I mean, that's still obviously open for debate, but the way he's playing, like, you know, what he's playing right now, like, you know, it, it's less of a debate, more of a like, well, what what eventually can this guy fully become? He's still so young. I think you mentioned the confidence. I think one of the other areas you see that is like when Bridges is in space around the perimeter. Either, you know, he screens and pops or he's spotted up on the weak side or like whether he's like involved in the initial screening action or not, or again, or if he's just weak side. His ability to just yeah, if, he, if he's open, catch and shoot, and he's he's shooting. Obviously, he's shot a, a very good ball from three the last two seasons. But like attacking space, like I just think he's he's gotten. You, that's one of the areas where you really see like the development, the processing, and the confidence. Like the game sort of slowing down. And again, he's got he's a violent straight line driver, but he can also make passes with both hands. He sees the court, like he'll see weak side. He'll see the dunker spot when he's attacking. Like he's not the blinders don't go on. He and he can be have this has this kind of cool like freewheeling drive style where like again it doesn't have to be just a straight line. Like he can kind of move diagonally, change directions, pass, finish from weird angles, and I think the finishing with him is is fascinating. I think like look, in no like I am not trying to compare like. Zion Williamson to uh, to Miles Bridges that would just be absurd. Um, you know, they're one, one's out of shape, one's in shape. In <laughs> Zion is just like a, a one of a kind player, so it's like comparing anyone to him is just like kind of dumb. But both guys are known as like dunkers. You know, like they're probably mm-hmm. two of the best dunkers in in the, in the game. Bridges as an in game dunker as is incredible. So is Zion. 
but they're so good dunking the basketball and their high, their dunking highlights are so good that I think it, it sort of like causes some people to overlook just how good their finishing packages are like, like complete finishers with touch that can, that can use both hands that can use different angles. I just think uh, Bridges has this like really fun, kind of clever, crafty finishing game that is not just the oh Miles can just you know dunk on anyone in the in the, in the league, which he totally can do, and it's great yeah. that he has that. But there's there's more to him. I just I just there's a lot of trust. I think you can have whether you're a fan, media member covering the team, you're you know you're you're on the the staff at Charlotte, just like you can sort of trust him to make good, good decisions when he's attacking space. And you can also sort of trust him to, to really finish in that final third of the court, even when it's not, Hey, dunk on the the center or, you know, dunk on nobody. Um, again, there's, there's a little more, um, there's more to his finishing package than just the dunks. And, um, that's really impressive. And I think, again, I think that speaks to just like the development of bridges, overall like as as an offensive player all right we probably got like five to ten more minutes here uh, on twitter spaces and i I think it is working uh, because adam kind of gave me a thumbs up as we were recording (laughs) so we have like eight to ten people in here which is great and i I appreciate everyone joining i'm not even sure how they can speak or how they request to speak Uh, this is my first time doing it so if if it's happened and i just have not seen it i I apologize Uh, richie is playing coy but he's he is ruling this twitter space with an iron fist right now no one shall talk other than than me or richie no, um, I, I, I'll allow others. I, no, just don't, yeah, know. I, I don't know if it's come I, I'm, through. I'm, I'm saying that in, in, in jest, yeah. obviously. <laughs> All right. So um, I don't like there's no other like real talking point from this game that uh, like I want to spend time on. But, you know, maybe a couple other players that we want to mention over the first couple of games. Uh, let, let's go to Mason Plumley because this guy is still finding his way with this team, especially on the offensive side of the court. It feels like defenses just like sag off and just sit deep when he has the ball yeah. around yeah. the top of the uh, the court, and they're going to have to find a way to kind of combat that. Maybe get a little bit more aggression out of Mason because sometimes he feels like he picks up the ball and he doesn't have a plan. Like he, there's been a lot yeah. of times where it's almost like he's going for a dribble handoff or a pass. And he picks it up, and then either the the teammate is covered or mm-hmm. the teammate's not looking, and he's just standing there, and he's got no shot. So he, you know, there's so much space that it's getting clogged up in the lane because he's just holding the ball out there. So again, I, I said this a couple of podcasts ago, but basically, give it ten to fifteen games before you make any true definitive statement on Mason Plumley so far. I think he is going to be able to hopefully replicate some of the same things as Cody Zeller, uh, who now obviously plays for the Blazers. But one thing that I've kind of mentioned, it just feels like he's not as aggressive and hard-nosed and, 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 and using that aggression to get a little bit closer into the paint and force teams to kind of come up off of him. So I think if the three-point shot is not falling from the players around him, and then he's also out there, uh, that could be a bad recipe for that specific game. So any any early thoughts on Mason Plumley two games into the season? Yeah, I've picked up on some of that same stuff. And, like, you touched on two things that I, that I, I think are worth highlighting a little bit more is, like, is making sure, again, he's, it's going to take him some time because some of this stuff is, like, is improvised, right? You know, like the those two-man handoff games, um, some of this stuff, mm-hmm. again, like you just need a, you need reps and you need, you know, um, more, more playing time with guys to sort of like understand 
how they're going to behave, know their tendencies, that sort of stuff. There was even a possession um, in the second half against Cleveland where, like, he brought the ball up. Um, and it's great that he can handle. Like, he can just, you know, if, like, he gets rebound and people are denying LaMelo the ball, like, Mason can just bring it up. But um, he thought LaMelo was going to keep running. He, he, like, it was a Plumlee turnover. But he just, like, it, like, would have been a cool play. Like, he tried to, like, you know, just, like, sort of, like, casually, like, drop it behind drop him yep. so that yep. LaMelo would, like, could, could catch it on the fly, maybe get downhill. Like, it's, it's an interesting read on his part. But, like, LaMelo stopped well short, and the ball just sort of, like, meekly rolled out, like, like slow bounce out of bounds. It was a yes. funny play. But um, I think – like when when teams are playing way off him like that, that's when those handoff games become so important. That's where like the live dribble element becomes important as well, too, right? Because yeah. like that's how you Can't really attack. When when again when if opposing centers are going to play way off him like that, then it's the handoff is like that's the number one solution to that, right? Like in lieu of him having like a like a killer floater game, right? To just like get into that mid post area and, and you know fling it up and make half of those looks or whatever. It's really going to be, um, you know, Mason and, and and like other guys like handoff guys on this roster like Rozier, like Book Knight when he gets into the fold, like Kelly Oubre, like Bridges. Um, I think even even someone like like Ish Smith, um, especially if he's playing in like these dual point guard lineups with with Lamelo, um, those guys have to see that and then react to it, right? And, and get into those handoff games because like if they're if they're opportunistic, then they're gonna they're gonna like run into some really juicy opportunities, right? Where they're gonna come into some space because they're going to come off the handoff and the opposing center is not going to be there. They're going to, that, that player is going to be 10 feet off dropping into the lane. And then I think it also speaks to um, like something that, that I, I know I brought up before the season started and I, I think uh, Lee did as well, but um, it's just like, you know, when this team closes, they're going to close with PJ, right? Because like that way, you make the oppose the opponent guard every inch of the half court. You know, you just and then it also opens you up to switch a little bit more defensively. But like with PJ, you can't do that because obviously he is phenomenal. I mean, PJ's had a I think an up and down start to the season, just two games, but um, they'll close with PJ in a lot of times because you know teams have teams can't do that. They've got to press out. They've got to be tight. And then that opens up so much more space inside the paint and in front of the rim. So um, that's, that's the, like, again, you know, Plumlee is going to have to, um, you know, again, get more comfortable. He's going to have to figure some things out on the fly, but also like, you know, the the PJ, a small ball five is like, can also be a solution to some of these things and like leverage minutes specifically. Yeah, and they both kind of played the same amount of minutes last night. So Mason getting the most of yep. the minutes kind of in the uh, the beginning stages of the game. And like you mentioned, if it gets close or, or you need P.J. Washington to uh, switch across multiple positions and, and, and force the defense, like you said, to cover all areas of the court, he's going to be out there in the fourth quarter. Uh, yep. Just quickly, I'm just going to touch upon a couple other players. And then there's one question that we do have on Twitter here. But anyway, Ishmith, uh, not very efficient from the field, but had eight assists last night. I'm enjoying him through two games. I like the pairing with him and Cody Martin. I think those two work well together, at least it has for the first couple of games. You've got Ishmith, who's penetrating, collapsing the defense, and then Cody Martin, like I mentioned earlier in the pod, doesn't have a shot, but he can time his cuts to where if other defenders are bringing their attention to Ishmith, he can sneak in behind the defense 
and get the dunk or get the layup. That's where he's going to get most of his bang for his buck is at the rim. And I think Ishmith's defense has been a little bit underrated. His yeah. positioning, uh, cutting off drives. I think uh, somebody commented, yeah, it was uh, Barese. I did, what do you say? My thought is that Ishmith uh, is a good defender. And I think just his experience and his headiness goes a long way. He's obviously undersized. Like that's going to be a little bit of a hang up on some of the bigger players. But again, he's playing with that second unit more often than he is that first unit. Last player that I want to mention is Gordon Hayward. We talked about this pre-recording. Like he had a quiet 18 points last night. Like it was not something that you that came in bunches. It was whenever the team needed a bucket, you can turn to him. He has that steady presence. And I think he had a team high in assists. Let me look this up real quick. Nine assists. Nine yeah. assists on the night. So uh, yep. another asset of his game that goes overlooked at times. Yeah, just to um, – yeah, I think I think Ish's defense has been nice in dosages. Like, you know, when they when he's out there and they're switching a lot, um, that can put you into some trouble if you can't, you know – you know, kick him out and switch behind the play or whatever. Like there was one post up Cleveland had in the second half where I think Kevin Love ended up with Ish Smith on him and just like rolled down to the post, caught it, turned and and shot it. Um, which like I don't know if you're a defense, that's not like the end of like, you know, a Kevin Love mid post attempt. It's like, I mean, at, you know, at the end of the day, that's not like the worst thing in the world, I don't think. But one thing that I'll be monitoring with Charlotte this year is, is just like, obviously, like is pace overall. But and again, with it, with this is just with the the small two game caveat here. But last season when Lamella was on the court, Charlotte, a in general, last season Charlotte played faster and they were much faster offensively by about one second per possession in terms of like average time of possession on offense when the mellow was on the court through two games this season. Uh, and again, it's not a lot of minutes with the mellow off the court, but Charlotte has actually been slightly faster offensively than when Lamelo was on the court, about 13.4 seconds per possession. This is according to PBP stats, about 13.4 seconds per offensive possession with LaMelo on the court. And when LaMelo sits and, you know, Ish is really taking over as like the, the key, uh, you know, uh, igniter on offense, um, about 12.8 seconds per offensive possession. So that's going to be fun, something fun to like monitor this season. I just, I love Ish just, I mean, it's even when he is, the shooting doesn't look great. It's just, his ability to get into the paint, just like constant paint creation, constant paint touches, and like yeah. what that does for everyone else just simplifies everything. Like puts teams into, you know, bends defenses, puts teams into rotation, and that's what can lead to opportunities for for Bridges and for PJ and for for Gordon Hayward and for Kelly Oubre and Terry Rozier when, when he, you know, he kind of like comes online as a, as a piece. So again, just again, that ability to constantly beat his guy with the basketball and get into the paint because of his speed. And, and obviously some of his like open court possessions have just been hilarious. He just like, like there's like four guys ahead of him and he'll just like, you know, hit the turbo button and just fly by pretty, pretty cool. Um, and then you, you mentioned Hayward. I thought his activity defensive, like we think of Hayward so much as this like possession by possession, sort of like half court, you know, um, hub, of offense for Charlotte, which he certainly is, but I think he's sort of like, you could see it last season, but like he sipped the Kool-Aid with like LaMelo chaos transition too. Like he'll, he'll, he wants to run, you know, and you saw that last season, him like catching some of those long bombs from LaMelo. Those, those monster hit ahead passes. Yeah. 
But I also thought when Charlotte's defense really like kicked into place, it was obviously it was like in the second half against Cleveland. Obviously, it was a lot of Lamelo, and we, we touched on Cody Martin, but it was also Gordon Hayward. Like he was he was frisky and he was involved and he was looking to again you know get you quickly shift from defense to offense. Pretty pretty impressive. And I just think the thing with Hayward that I'm always struck by is like. He can just because of his size, his shooting, his his passing craft, and his handle. It's just you put him in the half court, and he can just he can score from every level with the basketball. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't get to the obviously it doesn't get to the rim a ton in the half court. You know if you're if you're getting him around the basket in the half court, it's usually like they run those that little like early pistol action, and he'll get like a like they do this with PJ and with Bridges too. And Hayward will get a switch, and they'll look to like high low, or he'll seal. We'll try to throw it in that way, or they run that gut pin down action where Hayward is the one who sets the down screen, then he'll turn and seal in the lane. Like that's how you get Hayward around the basket in the in the in the, in the half quarters. You use him as a screener, and hopefully, you know, he'll get an angle and seal, or he'll get a switch and use his size, and he can get to his post game that way. But then, without the basketball, like he can spot up. You know, he can play with. Like he can just he from every level of the court he can threaten as both a scorer and a passer and he doesn't need the basketball. Very valuable. Like when healthy, I mean, just like a super valuable offensive player to have that you can just, you could put on any team and and he would help them out in terms of their, their half court offense. I would also like to touch briefly on Terry Rozier um, because what I think is interesting is that uh, obviously Charlotte's really used their transition game these first two like against Indiana and it's been there's obviously there's been a lot of LaMelo magic you know certainly the what he did I think LaMelo just like took over it both in the second half of both Indiana and in the Cleveland games and was just he was just again just magic but I think also like Charlotte's half court play calling because so much of their like their like their movement off ball shooting looks are they're dependent on Rozier right and like a book night when he eventually gets into the fold. Um, but, you know, there's no, there's no Devontae Graham. There's no Malik Monk who would right, also get, the, right. the, get these types of reps for, for Charlotte last year. You're not going to do it with Ubre. And so a lot of those stuff, like all of the beautiful, like off ball actions that James Brago likes to run, you know, they're really set up for guys like Rozier and, and book night. And so I think it's, I just think it's like, you're, you're only seeing a poor so far this year. You're really only seeing, a portion of Charlotte's playbook because I think they can actually offer even more diversity in the half court once Rozier is, you know, healthy, hopefully. And, um, and you can really unleash him as, um, you know, a ghost screener, a guy running off flares, a guy running off Iverson screens, the down screens, all of the after timeout, beautiful stuff they do with, with Rozier. So you're just, you're just like, that's one more weapon that you really like one more, you know, piece of the toolbox that you haven't even really seen yet this season for Charlotte. So uh, I just, you know, something else to keep an eye on. I think they've been far more pick and roll uh, dependent um, or like, you know, really like, you know, get teams into rotation and uh, with, with, with ball screens and then try to get to those spot up actions. I looked this up this morning too. Um, When LaMelo has been a passer in the pick and roll, this is according to Synergy. Uh, when Lamelo has been a passer in the pick and roll, and a teammate has finished the guy he's passed to has finished the possession, Charlotte has scored one point three one points per possession on those looks. Um, Lamelo himself, like when he uses the pick and roll possession, he in fact has been a pretty efficient pick and roll scorer on his own. But um, when he's looking for his own shot, but but certainly like the the Lamelo you know megawatt creator pick and roll spread pick and roll 
like so far so good um, in terms of that. But I think you can get even more, you can throw more at opposing defenses, certainly once Terry is, you know, himself. And then you can, and there's, he opens up a lot of Charlotte's playbook simply with his movement shooting and like what that can do to bend and, and warp defenses. Yeah, and we know it's coming. Obviously, he's coming off an injury, kind of working his way back into full health. Right. And to your point, LaMelo, playing pick-and-roll situations, uh, he has done well. And I think one of those things that he has in his bag is that mid-range kind of floater pull-up uh, you know, shot there that he just pushes in at times. And I think yep. if teams do sag off of Plumlee because you know they will and he gets that space and uh, maybe they're trying to stop the lob to Plumlee or stop the lob to Bridges, he can fill in that space with that little, little push shot from like 15 feet or so. Mm-hmm. Last little thing, Brian, before we wrap here, uh, we do have a comment uh, on Twitter. Which Charlotte team is the true team, the first half team or the second half team that we've seen so far these first two games? Like they've just turned it around in the second half. And this question comes from Maxton NMN Artist, who has definitely asked a question before on the podcast. Yep. And last night, the Hornets outscored the Cavaliers by 16 points in the second half and they did a very similar thing even a greater margin uh, against the Indiana Pacers so I mean with anything it's probably somewhere in between I think I noticed at times last year where the Hornets actually play and most teams kind of probably do this they probably play better from behind than you know having a lead and try to sit on it Uh, Mm -hmm. the Hornets because they like to push the pace it's hard to sit on a lead. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, you were up 10 points heading into the fourth quarter. Typical thought process might be, let's slow it down, kill the clock. And if you do that, that doesn't play to Charlotte's strength. So I think when Charlotte is playing from behind, they know that they have to create havoc on the defensive side of the court. They know that they have to make up these points. And so they play a little bit more loose and free, and um, they're not afraid of making mistakes. And Yes, they might get beat uh, on defense from time to time, but they also just excel. And you saw that against the Pacers, and you saw that again last night in Cleveland. Like, it's all going to – the template for this team to win is turning defense into offense, and I think they are able to play that way a little bit better when they're playing from behind just because they know they've got to play that way. It's not necessarily a recipe you want to happen every single game. Okay, let's go down. <laughs> let's go down by yeah. double digits in halftime, and let's see if we can make this make yeah. this deficit it's, up. But it's the uh, yeah. the sea biscuit strategy, right? Of uh, <laughs> yeah, get down and then uh, come back. Um, yeah, it kind of even it, there's that feel of like um, you know in football when like give a really, really good up-tempo spread offense, but for stretches of the game, that team will try to run scripted plays and they'll huddle a little bit. But then if they get down and they've got to make a comeback in the second half, all of a sudden they go no huddle, they open up the playbook. They And I just think, like, Lomelo as the quarterback in those situations is built for that. Again, I, I sound like a, a broken record at this point, but just, like, it, when when the action is most scattered and seems to be, like, at its most chaotic that is like when Lamella was at his best you know it really it really really is and I think it's like where he I think it's one of the things that like makes him truly a special player is that when all 10 guys on the court are flying around and it's almost unclear like you know who's in possession of the basketball right then and there like everything is slowed down for that guy and um and again it is just like truly like a, a special talent of his so yeah, I think I think again, I think Lamelo is sort of like in because his confidence is obviously insane too. Like he sees like I just 
you know, if I were on the court and my team was down 10, I would be like, Oh God, we're going to lose. I'm going to lose my job. Like, you know, like all of those things. And like, I just, I would love to know what's going through his head when he looks up and sees like 10, like we're down 12 on the scoreboard. I'm guessing he just thinks like, that's no big deal. Like next (laughs) possession. Like I, I, you know, I just don't, I I think he's complete. I mean, I mean, I think most NBA players are probably pretty unfazed by that. And just like the power of the three can shrink those things. Like very, it can swing so violently. Like, the thing that was jarring about the Indiana comeback was just how quickly it happened. It yeah. wasn't like, oh, they just had to chip away over the course of the second half. It was just like there was just like this flurry of activity from LaMelo, and then it was just poof, it was gone. Uh, it was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just, again, I think LaMelo especially is really like built for those moments and the way Charlotte wants to play defense like we talked at the top of this thing, can I, can I obviously like make those situations look worse? Cause it can be, it's combustible and they can really give up some stuff in those situations. But the turnovers, the quick start transition offense, that's another way to sort of like, or, you know, get like lean into that even more and then use that to really get into your transition game offensively. Brian, we got a speaker request from Hayes Permar. So oh, I don't know if this is going to be serious or if this is going to be, this is going to uh, be Hayes is going to want to know if uh, if Lamelo was like a top five player in the world right now. Uh, let's see. Gonna be something yeah, along that, that's already the answer. That's a definitive yes, guys. Now, first, <laughs> just want to say appreciate you guys doing this. Love the new Twitter Spaces. Be able to listen to the podcast live. And I didn't know if you were taking questions, but I thought I'd throw in a uh, request anyway. My question is: I heard what you said about Ish Smith in the backup point guard role. I think he's doing a fine job as well. But after seeing Taco. Uh, fall, take the rebound and go almost coast to coast last night. Did the Hornets yeah. miss out on converting Taco Fall to a backup point guard? I'll hang up and listen. Love it, guys. Yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, Cleveland was playing. Cleveland is playing some weird lineups, like in general right now, by playing you know Mobley with Jared Allen and Larry Markkinen as like the small forward. Like they're playing a lot of that lineup, which is like it's an interesting choice. But yeah, the Taco Fall as uh, Magic Johnson. Uh, in transition last night. That was a funny, um, a funny situation. You could just smell the turnover. I can't remember who ripped him, but you could see that you could see the steal coming like five seconds before uh, Taco action. But hey, give him credit. Like Taco, at least you know tried to to bring it up. There's just there's a there's a big distance between when he's dribbling. There's a lot. There's a large gap between like his hand being off the ground and the actual floor of the court. Just really opens you up for a lot of like steal opportunities. Unfortunately. I wonder how he feels, like, because the, the crowd is chanting for him to come in. It's, it's almost like that guy at the end of the bench on the high school team that they're trying to yeah. get in the game. Like, how does that make him feel, I wonder? Because it probably, yeah. like, he, he just knows he's there for, like, a gimmick purposes. Like, all you hear is taco, taco, we want taco. <laughs> yeah. It's like, people will do that with, like, with Boban Marnjanovic. Yeah. But, like, yep, yep. Boban is also, like, a real NBA player, too. And, like, we're not sure yet <clears throat> quite about, about taco, although... He's now in his third season in the NBA, so, like, I guess he's made it. It was funny to see him come in very briefly while P.J. was playing center for Charlotte, and then you had P.J. as a small ball center against Taco. So you had two NBA centers matching up with basically, like, a foot in terms of, of like, height difference between the two for for, for a very brief stretch last night, which was was, uh, humorous, before Charlotte then closed that game by bringing in, like, their entire bench mob lineup, which was, you know, book night plus like three, six, 10 guys. It was funny. All right. We're going to go ahead and wrap unless uh, Hayes has anything else to say here. Hayes. 
No, nah, good stuff. Uh, I appreciate you yeah. guys doing spaces. Look forward to listening to them all season. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and uh, we will see you guys later.